well known, the Vilna Gaon had a dream to go live in Eretz He didn't make it, but the Talmide Hago, Talmidim of the Vilna Gaon, went in groups to live in Eretz A story takes place just over 200 years ago, Tov Kuf Samach Tes, 1809, I think that makes. It was the third lot of the Talmide Hago who were in a boat on their way to Eretz they were in the boat, 40 mishpachas, 150 people all together. And in the middle of the journey, the storm started brewing. The storm got worse and worse and worse until there was sheer panic. The sailors didn't know what to do. The men were terrified. Women were screaming like only women can do. And there was overall general panic. The leader of the group was a Yid called Abisol, one of the Talmud are gone. And he decided we better do pretty much what they did in the time of Yoyin Novi. Let's make a Din V'cheshpen. He decided that everyone, they should get together in one room in the ship and everyone has to publicly confess and be misvadeh on his Averis. And perhaps by being misvadeh, by saying vidui, by confessing to his Averis, perhaps the Rebbein will have Rachmans. So he gave everyone time to think about the Averis which they've done. And then he said, we're going to start from the youngest. There's a young adult. And he said, please you, you start. And be misvadabirabim, in front of us all, please confess on your Averis. And he said, I've searched my, I've done my research, I've done nach nach and I've come up with one terrible, terrible Averis which I've done. Can't think of any other Averis, but one Averis which I've done was haka terrible. It was when I was nine years old, he said. My parents lived in a house, a semi-detached house, next to the Vilnagon. The sound insulation between us wasn't very good. And we could hear everything that was going on in the Gon's house. And we could hear the Gon sitting, the Vilnagon, day and night learning. My father was so amazed by the sweet voice, by the melody of the Gon learning, he posh didn't want to leave the house. And he sat for hours and hours every day and every night, posh listening to the sweet learning of the Gon. But the problem is, if he doesn't go out to work, then we're not going to have any money. My wife, my, my mother ran a small shop, a small grocery, but didn't bring in much money. We're 12 kids at home, and my father just couldn't bring himself to leave. He didn't want to miss a, a minute of the Gons learning. The poverty in the house was tremendous, terrible. There wasn't what to eat, kimat, clothing we didn't have. But we all knew that it was because of this holy reason that my father was so amazed by the, by the learning of the God. I couldn't bear to see my parents suffer so much. I came up with an ingenious idea. One day I came home from Cheda and I said, Mommy, Daddy, he said, from now on, you don't need to send with me lunch to school. From now on, from tomorrow morning, they're served, they've decided, the Cheda's decided to serve a free lunch, free sandwiches, to all the boys who learn there. It wasn't true at all. But I, could, I thought perhaps that way, my parents it will ease the suffering a bit, because they won't have to pay for a slice of bread for me, and the slice of bread they were going to send me to school can now be used for supper for a different child. And perhaps like that, I would make it a bit easier. And so I lied to them and I said, from tomorrow I'm, get, I'm not coming home lunchtime because I'm getting a free lunch in school. And the next day I didn't come home. 
And for the next two years, day in, day out, I didn't come home for lunch and I pretend, I starved and I pretended that I was getting lunch in school in order to ease the suffering of my parents. I lied to my parents for two years. That's a terrible affair. Perhaps that's why the storm has come on us. And when Rabbi Saul heard this, he turned to the Rabbani Shalom and he cried and he said, in Slichus we say, please Rabbani Shalom, turn, have a look at what's befallen us. At all the tzoros we've got, but don't look at our Averis. And Rabbi Saul says, I turn to you Rabbani Shalom and I say, please look at our Averis. Look at the Averis we've come up with. That a, a nine-year-old child lied to his parents, pretended he was having lunch, he learnt in school, on an empty stomach, in order to ease the suffering of his parents, please do bone Yishlel, and play Lachatois, look at our Averis. And when he said that, the storm instantly stopped. Our Averis are perhaps slightly different. And I don't know if we can turn with confidence and say to the Rabbeinu Shlelem, Pnei Lachatois, have a look, have a good look at our Averis. <coughs> I think it's safe to say, we don't want the Rabbeinu Shlelem to look at our Averis. On the other hand, we say, and if we don't believe it, then we're opening our mouth and saying a lie in Rosh Hashanah. We say, we believe that we don't have a single Melitz Yosha, a single Malach who will advocate on our behalf. So the odds are heavily stacked against us. And that's why when we approach Rosh Hashanah and we say in Slicha, that we're tittering and we're shaking and we're terrified and we're petrified from the din, we have to take it seriously. And we say, when we say in the Sanatoikef, miyomos, miyasyaso, it's not just talk, but we believe it. We believe that today is being nigza, being decreed in high up, by the Rabbeinu Shalom, what's going to befall us for the next year, both as a klal and as a prat. On the other hand, as I saw on Shabbos, that in any pre-Rosh Hashanah shir, to our door, he said we must be careful not just to point out that we say all these petrifying things in the Son of Tekev. We all, there's another half to the coin. Who's going to live? Who's going to be live in tranquility. We don't just say Mi'ani who's going to struggle with his panasa. We say Mi'ashe who's going to win the jackpot. It's not just trying to avoid these decrees of Einshim, of Tzoros, Rahman but everything we can hope for and we'd wish on ourselves on our family for the next year is also being decreed. And he said, as many people like to say, look over the last year how many young how many Yisoyimim there are. And they forget to mention, look how many people found the Shidduch in the last year. And look how many people, their Panosah improved in the last year. And look how many people had Yeshua last year. That was also Nigzal Nosh Hashanah. It's not just about the terrifying, scary aspects of what the Rebbe could punish us with, everything we would wish on ourselves is also being Nigzal. So the question is, how to go about it. If the stacks are seems to be against us. The odds are heavily against us. But we want to be zeichet to all the gewalt gezachen which we can be zeichet to. How are we going to go about it? Everyone knows, Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the year, it's the day of a new birth. 
The day Odom Rishon was created, and it's not by chance, because Rebbein Shem wants to say at the beginning of each year, this is a time for Yitzchachos, a time when you can restart, you can turn over a new leaf, turn over a blank page, and restart from fresh. Forget everything that's happened before, and start again. And so we all know that we're going to try next year, Bezaz Hashem, to be better. And everyone is going to make a personal cheshman and efesh what they're going to improve on. And it's not for me to tell anyone what there is to improve on. One thing, however, perhaps, something we can all improve on, one could I'd like to bring out. There's a fascinating posuk in the Novi Malachi, the end of Treos, which we read in the Haftar on Shabbos HaGadol. You read the Pasuk, makes no sense. Chayr. The Rebbe says like this, I'll translate the Pasuk, Chazku alai divreichem om Hashem. The Rebbe says, you've spoken terribly, terribly, terribly against me. V'amatem, and you're going to say, manid ba'an olecha, what do we say that's so bad? You know what you said? Amatem, you said like this, Shov avoid elikim, it's a waste of time serving the Rebbe Nishleilam. What do we gain? That we've listened to his mitzvahs. And the fact that we've gone with humility in front of Hashem. There's conversation going on here between Rebbein Hashem and Klal Yisrael. Hashem said, you've spoken terribly against me. And you're going to say, what do we say so bad? Rebbein Hashem says, you know what you said? You said it's a complete waste of time, Yiddishkeit. Complete waste. Listening to Rebbein Hashem was an unfortunate mistake. Should never have done it. Shav. So what do we gain from the whole thing? I want to ask you a question. You have a child in school who perhaps winked in class when he shouldn't have winked. And he gets a punishment, a hundred lines. He says to the teacher, what did I do wrong? That's perhaps a legitimate question. The other child who spilled a bottle of Tipex on the teacher's chair and put glue on his desk etc. And sprayed the fire extinguisher across the room. He also gets punished. And he turns to the, to the teacher and says, what did I do wrong? What do you mean? To, that's a pathetic question, isn't it? If Klali Sol had done B'nichshel in one small area here or there, and they would say, what do we say so bad? Okay, legitimate question. But the Bernishim says, what did you say? Shav avoid elikim. That means the Bernishim is saying, we said, it's a waste of time listening to the Bernishim. Yiddishkeit is a complete waste of time. Mabetza. All the mitzvahs we've done, we've gained absolutely nothing from it. If that's what Klali Sol said, and the Rebbein said that's what we said, how do we have the chutzpah to turn to Rebbein and say, Manid what do we say so bad? Why do we deserve such a punishment? The, the conversation doesn't seem to add up. The Rebbein said, you spoke terribly, and we say, what do we say so bad? You said Yiddish guy's a waste of time. That if, we, if the Rebbein tells us that we said it, that means we know we said it. So if we said it, then why are we t- turning to the Rebbein and saying, what do we say so bad? When you read this psukim, it just doesn't seem to add up. So I want to tell you, Chayyob Shat is in the pasuk. Last year, Elul, I went to Etisol for a couple of days, for three days. That wasn't the first time I've been in Etisol. I lived lived there for ten plus years. But when I went for three days, it was completely different. And I only realized this afterwards. I went for three days. I always questioned before what I'm doing every minute of the day. And I packed in so much that on the last morning I was so ill I could do nothing else in the race of Andrew because my, my legs wouldn't carry me. 
You know, go, you go for a couple of days, you haven't slept, you've been running around in the heat and not drinking, etc., etc., you posture it so your legs cave in underneath you. Now I thought to myself, one second, I, I never felt that in the 10 plus years that I lived here. So I realized there's a big difference between someone who lives there and a tourist. A tourist knows, he has to chap around as much as he possibly can because his time is limited. Okay. So that's the first lesson I learned about tourists. I learned how to be a tourist that you, the mile of a tourist is he knows he has to chap around. However, even a tourist, even though he knows he's only got a limited amount of time, he can miss the point. You can go to the coast of Maravi and you can either daven there or you can just show you've got a good picture. And you can go for a whole year to seminary to Saul, and you can either be or you can make sure that you've tried every iced coffee store in Gula. A tourist knows that his time is precious. But even if you know your time is precious, you can get the point, or you can miss the point. You can be focused, or you can be distracted. Those are the two things I understood and I learned about being a tourist. We in Olam Hazer, we're here as a tourist. We're not here very long. Be it 20 years, 50 years, 80 years, 120 years, we're not here very long. Put things into perspective of Nitzchus of infinite time, we're not here very long. And Hashem is here in Olam Hazer, we're not here for very long. We're tourists here. And a tourist has to make sure that he doesn't waste any time. But even someone who knows as a Dafa Ayn Chapni has to make sure he doesn't waste time. He can get distracted and not be sitting down and clotting any minute of the day running around but missing the point. And be, go through the whole of Ayla Mazza, the 120 years of Ayla Mazza, making sure he's drinking all the iced coffees and really missing the point. The journey which we have in Ayla Mazza, this trip which we're taking, is slightly different to the trip in Edsol because before I went to Edsol I knew I was there for three days. And the same girl who goes knows she's there for a year in Sem. You know how long you're going to be there for. In this trip that we've gone on Ulam we don't know how long we're here for. We don't know how long we're here for. One thing we know, you look in the perspective of time of infinity, it's not very long. So we know we have to chaperine. And all we've got to do is go to make sure we're not missing the point. About ten years ago, I spoke in a... by a Shevabroch, as an And the Chosen wasn't someone, forgive me if I say it, wasn't someone with an amazingly high IQ. And I realized that if I'm, you know, I'm trying to give a message to Chosen Nikal, I've got to pitch it to him. Not a very learned fellow. So I decided to make a drosha, and I gave the whole thing in a marshal of one thing, you know, every boy, every teenage boy can relate to, every boy can relate to a football game. And I explained how in a football game we've got different positions make up in a, a team and one person's uh, his tackle is his defense and one is attack but it's all teamwork make sure you're make sure you're focused on what my goal what my goal is my goal is I've got two goals I want to make sure that the ball doesn't come into my goal and number two to make sure as much as possible the ball goes into the opponent's goal I've given quite a, many, quite a few doshas and I think I was one of the better ones actually it really went down well because I brought it down to his level I explained the whole thing whole idea of going through Olam has that we have to have a goal. It was Pasha's Truma. The goal is Sometimes you're going to be in defense. Sometimes you're going to be in attack. The Bonisham putting you in different positions throughout your life. The goal, you've always got to be focused on what the goal is. The whole talk, all seven, eight minutes of it, 
was around the football game. And people came up to me afterwards, a compliment, shkirch, went down really well, etc. Then Chosen came up to me, and he said, that drosha wasn't relevant at all for me. I said, really? It meant nothing. I said, why? He said, I don't follow football, I follow rugby. <laughs> and he meant it seriously. Now, if there's ever, if you ever know what it means to miss the point, that's what it was. A person can be here, Russia, go places, see things, see the whole of our lifetime, and completely miss the point. You know, the stipler learned in Nevadok. And one Shabbos, he went home to his parents. And someone who lived in the shtetl said, you know, you learn in the same yeshiva as my son. Please take a letter. It was, the, you know, before the days of parcel deliveries to yeshivas. Please take a letter to my son when you go back. It's Sean open. And his father wrote a letter to his son in yeshiva and gave it to the stipler. The stipler after Shabbos head, started heading back towards yeshiva and just then World War I broke out. Borders between the countries were closed. All borders were closed and the stipler found himself in no man's land between his home and his yeshiva and he never made it to the yeshiva. He had the letter in the pocket, in his pocket. The letter which his father had sent to his son Yeshiva. There was no communication, no telephones. This is wartime after all. But the stipend was a Neman, he didn't never bin the letter and he kept the letter. And he kept the letter for eight years. And eight years la- later he met this Bocha. In the meantime there had been a world war. This Bocha's father was no longer amongst the living. Community, communities had been uprooted, murdered, everything had been turned upside down. And the stipend turns to this Bach, he hasn't seen him so long, and says, here I've got a letter from your father. Now this boy knew that his father in the meantime being killed. Here he has the final message from his father. And with trembling hands he opens the letter. And he starts reading. Dear Moshe, uncle, whatever his name was. I hope you're learning well in Yeshiva. I hope you're looking after yourself. I've got a favor to ask you. Here in our town, the salty herrings are very expensive. I understand they're cheaper where you are in yeshiva. Please make sure, as soon as possible, to buy some salty herrings to bring back to me. Signed by your loving father. The last message he got from his father was, bring me some salty herrings. And the stipler said, you know, no one, when the father knew, when the father wrote that letter, no one knew there's going to be a world war. No one knew... That his son would only read it, read it after eight years after his father was, had been killed. But the final parting message which he gave over to his son was, remember to give me salty herrings. How tragic would it be, he said, and this is a message which can be cut and pasted for any time in history. Even in 2017 where we don't want salty herring anymore, perhaps we've got other things. If the message we give over to our children is what's important to me, make sure, I hope you're doing well in yeshiva, make sure to send me some salty herrings. Someone who's gone through, the, gone through this world and perhaps we say missed the point. So what is the point of this trip we've got in Olamaz? The point is to make a Kesha with Rebbe The point is not just to do mitzvahs. Doing mitzvahs is a medium and a way of building a connection of a Kesha with Rebbe Learning Torah is a way of building a Kesha with Rebbe And the best way of building a Kesha with Rebbe is by speaking to him. Yeah? That's how, that's what the first thing they tell every chosen and kala. 
Make sure in Shana Shen you speak to you, speak out as much as possible about complete Narishkat. It doesn't matter what. A connection is made by speaking. When we speak to the Rebbeinah Shalom, that's how we build a connection. It could be through Atfilas of Shachris or Minchamayev. It could be while walking in the street or... And we just murmur our own tefillah in whichever language it is. That's how we build a connection. How do we make the Rebbeinah happy with our connection? We speak to him, we do mitzvahs, we listen to what he wants from us. That's what we're here for. Of course we have to do other things. We have to be also in day-to-day life. But we've got to remember that we're here for a purpose and we mustn't miss the point. If you ask a photographer, sometimes you see a professional photographer will show you a picture and you'll see that half the picture is blurred. It's not focused. And you'll say, hey, I paid a lot of money for you. You're a professional photographer. He says, no, that was done on purpose. The main thing in the picture is nice and sharp, nice and clear. And the background, to give it to, to, in order to help you notice clearly what's the main part of the picture, I made the background fuzzy. Not, not in focus. If, however, the background and everything which is unimportant is sharp, and the person or the piece of furniture, whatever it is, which is supposed to be the center of the attention, that's fuzzy, then you know he's a lousy photographer. A photographer has to know everything has to be in the picture, but what's sharp and what's clear has to be the main point. Everything else, which is toffel, which is important, perhaps adds to the scenery and it has to be there, but that's not the main thing. That should be in fuzzy and unfocused. We have to do other things in our sojourn in Olamaze also. We can't spend, even halavai we could, but we can't spend 24 hours mitzvahs speaking to the branch and we have to do other things also. But not to lose focus about what's the main point and what's not the main point. What are we here for and what are we not here for? What are we supposed to be kainer? What are we supposed to achieve in our short journey in Olam When we come on Rosh Hashanah and the Rebbeinu gives us a din v'cheshpun, I know when we were in kindergarten, and perhaps in reception. We bring a scales and we say, how many mitzvahs on this side and how many averes on that side? It's not just a matter of quantity. How many mitzvahs? How many averes? It's a very, very babyish and immature way of looking at things. What the Rebbein Shem weighs up on Rosh Hashanah is, how much did your mitzvahs mean to you and how much did your averes mean to you? How much koichus did you put into your mitzvahs? How much koichus? What was the focus of your life? What was in focus? What was sharp? And what was the background? The idea of Din V'cheshbun is not just an idea of mass, of counting. It's a Din V'cheshbun which only the Rebbeinu can make, because the Rebbeinu is Yedea Kol Masa V'neodom Chol He knows what's going through our mind when we do the Maisa Mitzvahs. Was it important to us? Was it not important to us? Have you spent your time building a Kesha with me or not? Shuva Yisrael, says the Novi in Shabbat Shuva, Shuva Yisrael, return Kalal Yisrael, Ad Hashem Eloikecho. And a few years ago, when I went to do Shemesh by one of the Abonim in Eitzel, just before Ashona, fell a lot older than me, who a lot, lot older. And his face was shining and he said, I just got shot in the Pasuk, he said. Shuva Yisrael, he said, you have to do Shuva Ad Hashem Elekech until you feel and you believe that Rebbein Shem is my God. I've got a connection with him. Not that there is a Rebbein Shalom who is king, who is Melech Malach Amlochim. Shuva Yisrael, speak to the Rebbein Shem, do Shuva Ad until you feel Hashem Elekech that he is your God, you've got a connection with him and you mean something to him. The reason why we daven so much on Rosh Hashanah, is because, like we said before, speaking to someone builds a Kesha. And Rosh Hashanah is a time when we're refocusing and we're thinking to ourselves, one second, 
What am I here for? Let's make a din v'chesh for myself. Am I focusing on the right things? Am I not focusing on the right things? What am I here for? I'm here in order to build a kesher. If I'm here to build a kesher, how am I going to do, go about it? I'm going to speak to the Benishlam. And I can't get enough of it. And that's why I'm going to speak to him for hours through Yom Noyoyim and perhaps that will spill over to the year. So when we make a din v'cheshpun coming up to Rosh Hashanah, we shouldn't be sitting there with a piece of paper writing down, I did this mitzvah, I did this mitzvah, I did that aver, I did that aver. You should rather be making a din v'cheshpun when I did this mitzvah, how much did it mean to me? How much did the mitzvah mean to me? How much did the aver mean to me? There's a pasuk in the Torah. Esau came, having been commanded by his father Yitzchak to bring him food. By the time he got there, Yaakov had chapped the brachas. And when Yitzchak realized what had happened, the pasuk says as follows: Vayecha a loshen which it doesn't say anywhere else in the whole Torah. Vay, remember every word, every letter in the Torah is there for a reason. Vayecherad Yitzchak. Yitzchak trembled. Gadoila, a, tr- a big, big tremble. Admoid. The Apostle doesn't say Vayechrat. Vayechrat Yitzchak Charoda. Double Oshan. Vayechrat, he trembled a tremble. Not just a Charoda. Charoda Gadoila. Vayechrat Yitzchak Charoda Gadoila Admoid. Take it easy. So you gave, you, you gave Yaakov the Brachas instead of Esau. Big deal. More than that. Let me tell you what it says in the Medrash. This wasn't the first time Yitzchak trembled in his life. He trembled once before. Achas, the first time he trembled, was Al-Gabi Amizbeach. He was bound on the Mizbeach by the Akedah and he was about to be shechted and he trembled. The second time he trembled was now when Esau came in. Which one do you think was he trembled more? When he's about to be shechted and he sees Avon Avinu, his father standing over him with a big knife? Or, when Esau comes in, and he's realized he's given the bracha to the wrong son. Which one is bigger tremble? Says the Apostlech, He trembled a lot more here than he did there. Why? What's the big deal? So you thought you were going to give the ice pop to this kid, you meant to give it to this kid, and then another kid came and chopped it. No! Says the Medrash. What was the big trembling? He trembled from the Yom Hadin. What on earth does the Yom Hadin have to do with giving that story of Yaakov and Esau happened on Seydenacht? Tesvav Nisan. Long time from Rosh Hashanah. When Esau came in and Yitzchak realized what happened, he trembled, not stammer trembled, why me Yom Hadin? What's going on? says a Yashav, Yitzchak lived his entire life thinking that Esau was a tzaddik. Esau came to him with Lomdash Shailas, Shailas in Halacha, Shailas in Lomdash. Yitzchak was blind, he didn't see what was going on. And in Kuntu Allah, Rishonim, Hitaka didn't know that Esau was a Russian. I know there are other Mahalchim in Rishonim, but some Rishonim learned Hitaka didn't know. And he wanted to bench him before his patero because he, dis- he-, he thought and he understood that Esau deserved this bracha. And he set the whole thing up. Comes the time to give him a bracha and he sees that the Rebbein has taken the chance away from him. The Rebbein has sent him Yaakov instead. 
And obviously, nothing happens by chance. It must be that the Rebbeinu Shleilam decided anew that Esau was not deserving of these Bochas Yaakov was. And Yitzchak thinks to himself, I thought my whole life that Esau was a son who was deserving of these Bochas. And now I realize I lived my entire life with a mistake. I missed the point. I misjudged. I thought I knew and I didn't know. When a person realizes that he could have lived his entire life and made one big mistake, then he thinks to himself, Oy vai, what's going to be my din? The Oymah Din, when I'm going to come to, come to the Bernish Lulam, I might then realize that my whole life has been a mistake. What I put in focus wasn't important. And the things I should put in focus and should have stressed and should have been on high on my priority list perhaps weren't. Do you know why he trembled? If I can live my entire life, but says Rabbi Yashem, if I can live my entire life making a mistake, then who knows what's going to be Mi Madin? Perhaps I'm going to come Mi Madin, and the Rebbeinu says, "I'm very sorry. You tried your best, but you missed the point. Your entire life was a mistake." A couple of years ago, there was a boy, a nine-year-old boy. A Yiddish boy comes from a family completely non-observant. Right, right, right from Yiddishkeit. This couple had waited a long time for children. And finally when she was 42 years old she had this boy. And he was obviously their entire life was around him. Afterwards she had twin girls. This was their only son. And they put all their koiches into this son the Ben Abacho, which they waited for so long, unfortunately, no shaykhs whatsoever to Yiddishkeit. They knew they were Jewish, but didn't go much more than that. And when he came of age and the father sent him to Westminster School, he told him, make sure you don't tell anyone you're Jewish. He did. The boy, the apple of his parents' eye, he had asthma. And one night when he was nine years old, in the middle of the night... He had an asthma attack. And he started coughing and coughing and coughing and it didn't go away until his heart caved in and he had a heart attack. A nine-year-old boy. And I spoke to a friend who was at the Leviah. The friend who had made contact with the father, tried to be Mikavim a bit, little bit, didn't get, far, didn't get far. He went to the funeral of this boy. There was many people there most of them Goyim, be it the teachers, be it his Goyish friends. And there was a rabbi there officiating. And before the actual Kavur, the parents of this child turned to the, turned to the, rabbi, and he, uh, turned to the rabbi and asked him a question. Do we have at your permission to put something into the coffin to bury with our son? And he said, yes. What would you like to put and they said his chessboard and his football boots. And hearing such a story from someone who witnessed it first hand, you begin to wonder what was the bigger tragedy here. The fact that they lost a son or the fact they were so right from Yiddishkeit that the thing that was most dear to him was a chessboard and his football boots. Someone who's missed the point. But it makes us ask the question that if we weren't given the chance And our children 
were deciding what to bury with us. What was most dear to your mother? What was most dear to your father? What would you think they would want buried with them, if anything? What would your young child answer? Your iPhone? Or your Tehillim? Would your father say, your wallet? Or your shas? Your personalized siddha or your personalized number plate? What's more dear to you? What's more precious to you? And we're not asking the question to you about yourself. What would other people say about you? What would your nearest and dearest say about you if they weren't told the answer? It's a question which perhaps we should ask ourselves. Because if it's not claw, if it's not, if you're not 100% sure that your children or your siblings would answer, your siddha, your tehillim, your mitzvahs, whatever it may be, that's what should be buried with you, if they would have to hesitate before answering, and kol shiken, how much more if they would answer something else, then perhaps we're going through our little journey in this world and we're missing the point. We're doing mitzvahs. And we've got many, many mitzvahs coming up. We don't have much to stand on our side because we haven't made that the focus of our life. And when we come to Yom Adin, it's a time as we approach Yom Adin, Rosh Hashanah is too late, but before Rosh Hashanah, to make a cheshbon, what has been important to us, what is important in our lives. Of course we have to do other things. But what is it that's near to, dear to us? What's important to us? What's our priority? What's in focus? And what's in the fuzzy background? Going back to the Posik in Novi. Klal Yisrael said, Manid Baunu Alecho. What did we say so bad? The Bernishim said, Chosgi, you've said terrible things. Klal Yisrael said, What did we say so bad? And the Bernishim said, Shov Avoid Elekim. Yiddishkeit is worthless. And we asked before, if that's what they said, then how could Klal Yisrael possibly say, What did we say? And the terrors which I saw, Brought down in Sefer Matnas Chaim from Matisyor Zolazangazunt. He says as follows, Of course, Klali Sol never said it with their mouth. And of course, they did mitzvahs. But you can have someone who's going around doing mitzvahs and learning and davening. But that's not where his passion lies. That's not what excites him. What excites him is all other things. When he's doing mitzvahs, he looks bored. It looks like he wished he could get over with as much, as quickly as possible. When he's davening, he's running out. Tehillim is said by rote. And when it comes to Averis and Gashmias and eating his supper, that's where the passion, that's where he's on fire. What has he shouted? What has he declared to all the people who see him? Shav avoid alikim. Yiddishkeit is not what's important. I'm doing the mitzvahs. Of course I'm doing this. I have to do them. I'm born in Yiddish family. But that's not what's important. That's not what's in focus in my life. Shav avoid alikim. It's just in the background. Klal Yisrael said to the Benisham, what did we say wrong? We've done the mitzvahs. We davened. We... Shuk Lulav, we ate matzah. The Bernishim says you might be doing all the mitzvahs and you can still be shouting Shava Vaidalikim. It's pointless and it's worthless and that's not what's important in this world. It all depends on your mood, your excitement, your passion behind it. Comes to Yoimadin. And we ask the Bernishim again and again for Chaim. Zochainu Lachaim, Melechovitz Vachaim, Kosainim Sevachaim, Malchim Chaim, Uchsev Lachaim, Chaim and Chaim and Chaim. We ask for Chaim many, many times. Nine times, says the Chasm Sefer. Why do we ask nine times for Chaim? 
Because Chaim Ches Yud Yud Mem is 68. 968 or 612. 612 is Gematria Bris. Bris means a Kesha, a connection. We're declaring to the Bonisham, we know it's Yom Adin, and we know you're going to decide now if we're, if we're entitled and we deserve Chaim or not. You want to know why do we want Chaim? Why are we asking so much for Chaim? You know why? Because we want there to be nine times Chaim. We want a Bris, we want a connection. We don't want Chaim in order to try every iced coffee. That's not what we're here for. You can try iced coffees. But that's not the purpose. That's in the fuzzy background. Nine times Chaim, we want a bris. And like the Chassam Sefer says, we all know there's 613 mitzvahs, says the Chassam Sefer, Big Chiddush. Be'etzim, he says, there's in essence, there's 612 mitzvahs. Because one of the mitzvahs is mitzvahs tshuva. And if you don't do anything wrong, you can't do tshuva. If you do an Aver, you have to do tshuva. But if you don't do Aver, then you've got 612 mitzvahs. We say nine times 68, nine times Chaim, we want Chaim, we want a bris with the Bernish, and we want to connect with you by doing the 612 mitzvahs, by davening to you, by speaking to you. That's why we're asking for Chaim. And when we approach Rosh Hashanah, the cheshbon, which we have to make on ourselves, ourselves, our spouses, our children, in this past year, what has been important in my life? Since last Rosh Hashanah, Baruch Hashem, I shook Lulav, and I ate matzah, and I said lots of tehillim, and I davened every day, and I learned, I did lots of chesed. But is that where my passion was? Is that what excited me? If you can say yes, Moedic. Fantastic. Some people are not so sure. And if you're not sure that that's what excited you and that's the message you're giving over to your children, then it's time to make Cheshman and Nefesh. This year, you know what we're going to do better. We're going to do the same mitzvahs, the same davening. We're going to make it more important. We're going to make sure that that's the point. And we haven't gone through this journey of our life in Olam Hazer missing the point. And so to finish off, it's true that everything is decided. Everything is decided. And when we come to Rosh Hashanah, we have to appreciate it's not just a word, word game. When we say it, we have to mean it. Everything we would wish for ourselves and our friends and our family is being decreed today on Rosh Hashanah. And we have to say, I'm turning to you and I want Chaim. You know why I want Chaim? Because I want to cash with you. And I promise I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try and make it important. And the Rebbeinu will say to us, you want Chaim? I want to give you Chaim. You want life? I want to give you life. I want to give you life. You want life? I'll give it to you. I'll give you the Chaim. I'll give it to you on one condition. I'll give you the Chaim. Please, the Benjamin says, I beg of you, don't miss the point.